Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome. I'm going to bring Negs in. Hello. 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 How's everybody doing? You're a little bit loud, Negs. Little tiny bit loud. Am I a little bit loud? Okay. All right, so we got Negs. While Negs works out his audio, we're going to bring in... Da, 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 da. Hello. Hello. Hi, baby. How are, How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. I'm doing really well today. It's so good to see you again. It's really good to see you again. Thank you for inviting me back. It's a pleasure to be here. Nags, I don't remember meeting you before, did I? No, you haven't met Nags yet. Nags, okay. this, is, uh, this is Ginger. Hi, Ginger. Nags. Nags. Nice to meet you. Um, Nags and I were just in Las Vegas, and it was at the same time that you were doing the um, the big showcase. Right. And so I told um, I told him we need to drop by the hotel and we need to say hi to Ginger. And I thought about it and thought about it. And then I thought, she's working. She's going to be with Christy. She's probably going to be mobbed. She's a legend. She's going to be at a booth and we're not going to be able to have quality time with her. But the next time we're in Vegas, it's a date. It's definitely a date. We will, we will definitely hook up. So, Ginger, I guess that we should start at the beginning. How does a nice girl from Illinois end up in the business? <laughs> well, first of all, I am a nice girl from Illinois. I am the girl next door. And I happened to answer an ad in the paper that said figure modeling wanted uh, $500 to $5,000 per day. Now, I'm five foot two. I knew that figure modeling did not mean runway. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I had no problem with nudity. I went in and I posed for Penthouse the next day. And I posed for all of the major men's magazines over the next three months. In December, on December 9th, 1983, I made my very first adult film movie. And I thought it would only make two films. I thought, okay, I'll make these two movies. No one will ever know. So I used my real name. I thought Ginger Lynn... Nobody will ever see it. <laughs> Did not work out that way. Mm-hmm. Can you excuse me for one second? I forgot one thing. Sure. I'll be right back. Sure. It's perfect. I get to do an audio check. Is it any better? Uh, still a little tiny bit loud, but you know what? It's fine. It's fine. You're fine. I wonder what's going on with the... Is that still loud? It's a bit loud. I'm going to jump out and jump back in. Okay. Welcome, everybody. I'm really glad to see you here. If you didn't guess, Ginger Lynn is one of my all-time favorite guests. If not, I'm not going to insult my other guests by saying she's my favorite, but she's 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 my favorite. Okay. Are you talking about me? I am. I'm talking about how you're my favorite guest. I just insulted every single other one of my guests by saying you're my all-time favorite guest. Oh, damn. But you know what? I'll take it. I'm... <laughs> You know what it is, Ginger? You, you know what it is? It's that I did not expect you to be the way you were when you came on. You are probably the most positive human being I have ever spoken to in my life. Wow. You know, given you. given your past, and I'm not talking about adult films and all that. I'm talking about, you know, the drugs, uh, the going to federal prison, not jail, but prison prison you know and all the drama and everything and you are so positive 
you know, you're not a bitter, angry person. You are amazingly, you know, forward thinking. Thank you. That means a lot to me. And I always, I always have been that way. I've always appreciated things and loved things. And, and when I say things, uh, you know, I was able to, to travel the world. I was able to do this, able to do that, meet all kinds of wonderful people. And I had a really good experience throughout the years. You know, I had a, a difficult childhood. My mother is a sociopath. Um, so mm -hmm. it was never fit, uh, sexual abuse, but there was abuse there. And at 13, I moved out and I was with my grandparents and my grandmother taught me patience and kindness and love and how to knit and sew and paint and design jewelry. So I had this wonderful woman that showed me the good way and to her, everything was positive. Mm -hmm. And I just loved her energy and I wanted to be like her. Her and my father were my two favorite people ever. And even today when I get stuck and I don't know, I, I have a 26 year old son and you know how that goes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, they're, they're 26. Um, but I still, I have a photo of my dad on the wall and I talk to him every day. Dad, what should I do? How do I handle this? Um, and I want to be happy every day. I want to make every day the best day that it can be because it's the only today that I get. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I've worked hard. I wanted to say I was lucky, but I've worked for everything that I've achieved. Mm -hmm. I've never taken anything for granted. And I realized that I was in the adult industry at the perfect time. I was just going to bring that up. This is the thing about you. Uh, that is so amazing because you were, you know, a groundbreaker during the golden age because there was no internet right. and people were for the first time buying VHSs for their homes and VHSs were more widely available and so people could watch videotapes in their home so you didn't have to go to a theater you know in some questionable neighborhood anymore you could actually sit in your living room and watch adult movies um and so you became a huge star at exactly the right time and i'm wondering whether it's even possible for girls who are getting into the ind or men for that matter who are getting into the industry now to be able to achieve that level of stardom and recognition by in it no no mm -hmm. and the the difference is when i made adult films there were maybe 50 of us and that mm -hmm. included crew <laughs> that was cast and crew we were a very small tight-knit family we had wonderful experiences you know i, I walked down multiple red carpets with giant ice sculptures inside of the venues and got awards and just everything was wonderful and easy. And I was able to maintain a comfortable living by just doing adult films. I did, I had, I was under contract. So I had a monthly salary. I was paid for each day that I worked, paid for box covers, personal appearances, all of those things. And so at that point in time, the industry was perfect. Mm -hmm. I could survive on it and be happy. Mm -hmm. Today, there are a thousand people in the industry. It's extremely transient and they, 200 of them will recycle every day. The <clears> lifespan <throat> of the average porn star today is six months. Yeah, six months, wow. right. I read that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and mm -hmm. 
when I got into it, it wasn't socially acceptable, Mm -hmm. but it was acceptable to me. I was comfortable with it. So I didn't care. What I see happening with a lot of the girls these days is they want to get in. They want to be Jenna Jameson, Christy Canyon, Ginger Lynn, Nina Hartley. Mm -hmm. But there's so much competition and they're having to go to extremes Mm -hmm. uh, with what they do. And to the point where I'm a very open-minded people. I don't judge. I don't understand a lot of the things that they do in porn today um, as far as a turn-on factor. Um, I don't think getting punched in the back of my head while you're about (laughs) to come makes me feel good. Right. I fear, I'm going to be such a mom here. Go ahead. I fear for young men and women growing up in today's society and watching today's porn Mm -hmm. because it's so aggressive. Right. So in your face, there's not that, that lead up, that tease, that storyline that got you going and you wanted those two people to fuck. It's Mm -hmm. just, here it is right away. And don't get me wrong. I enjoy that sometimes, but the women will never again, in my opinion, have the opportunities that, those of us who are around in the early to mid eighties did uh, there's too many girls out there. There's too few production companies and what turns me on, what I think is good for the women and the men today is OnlyFans. Mm-hmm. I love OnlyFans.com. I'm uh, on there. I'm blaming on ginger and it allows you to choose what you're comfortable with in your own sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I only do girl, girl and only with Christy Canyon <laughs> mm-hmm. and I do little sexy scenarios where I dress up and I play, interact with them and nobody tells me what I have to do when I have to do it. Um, I choose my own hours. I choose my own partners. And I think that that's one of the ways that girls may be able to get noticed. Mm-hmm. I don't believe they'll ever be a big star again. Right. So how did your, you've got a great story about how your dad found out. Oh, God. <laughs> Which is my, like the worst yeah. nightmare. <laughs> my dad was the best father that I could ever have. Unfortunately, I lost him in a motorcycle accident a few years ago. But thank you. Thank you. I, I miss him, but he's in my heart. And... I thought, as I told you, that I would only make those two films and no one would find out. Well, when I agreed to do the films, I was kind of not really a bitch, but a businesswoman. I want this much per day, script approval, cast approval, Mm -hmm. um, no means no. Uh, and And I had a list of things that I wanted. And uh, David and Svetlana Marsh who produced uh, Surrender in Paradise and a little bit of Hanky Panky, my first two films. Uh, I forgot my train of thought. Your dad. Your dad finding out. My dad. So before I did those two films, um, I called my agent and I said, what if I get there and I can't pull this off? I've never had sex on film. I don't know. uh, You know, I don't know. So they set up two things called loops. And they're soundless, eight millimeter, and you're just fucking. And the first scene that I did was with Tom Byron. And I fell in love, fell in lust. He was wonderful. 
And I'm thinking, okay, I can do this. Second scene, I had to do two in one day, was with Ron Jeremy. Mm -hmm. And I never found Ron attractive. I've never liked Ron. I don't think anyone did, quite frankly. (laughs) He's fat. He smells. He looks like a hedgehog. Um, (laughs) He wore the same blue sweatpants for like three years. Every Mm -hmm. day. Great. Stains on them. Just Mm -hmm. disgusting. But what I did with the director, I said, you know, the only way I'm going to be able to pull this off is if Ron's behind me. I can't look at him. Most of us can't. Right? (laughs) So we did the entire scene doggy style. And I wasn't looking at him and it felt good. So I went, all right, I'm fine. This is going to be good. Uh, So I do my two films Mm -hmm. in, in Hawaii. They don't get released for several months, but unknowns to me unbeknownst to me the video store in my hometown of rockford had those two loops mm-hmm. and my dad's your average red-blooded american man with you know sex on his mind mm-hmm. and he went to see a loop he went to see god him. and the poor man oh jesus his tokens in and of all, why couldn't it have been Tommy Byron? No, it was Ron Jeremy. <laughs> and as disgusted as I was, imagine how my father felt. Oh, yeah. So he went to the owner of the store and said, I want to buy every copy. And the guy said, no, I'm doing great with these. So my father beat the man up. <laughs> yeah. Police came. They took him to jail. Uh, my grandmother bailed him out of jail. Mm-hmm. In the wee hours of the morning, my dad took my grandmother back down to the dirty bookstore and made her watch. He didn't believe it. And it was horrible. It was horrible. Um, the police show up again because my father oh, is no. insane. And, and my father was a cop at the time. Oh, no. Yeah. So when he went back the second time with my grandmother, someone with your grandmother, my grandmother, someone from the force said, um, uh, you know, we're not going to we're not going to you can't press charges. This is what happened. This is his daughter. It's been a really hard time. He didn't touch you this time. So let's just end it the way it is. And and we did and i went that morning at about 6 a.m after dad and grandma had seen me in action uh, i get a phone call and at that point in time i did not have a phone you could call me on i had a pager my pager had my home phone number no one else did it's six o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. my phone rings it's my answering service saying you've got a family emergency call your father and I'm thinking, oh my God, my grandmother's died. Something's horrible. I'm scared to death. And I call right away. My dad answers the phone. He goes, what the fuck have you been doing? <laughs> I didn't know. He knew. I couldn't deny it. There was nothing I could say. It, it, what I did tell him is, you know what? I made this choice. I'm comfortable with it. And he said, well, we're not. You are disowned from the family. I have two stepbrothers and a sister. You're never allowed to talk to them again. And I had six months of fucking hell. 
It was the worst point in my in my life. I'm making films. I'm enjoying myself. I have no family that's standing by me except for my set family. And I was doing, it was the 80s. And in all honesty, I was doing a lot of cocaine. Right. And I was missing work. I wasn't showing up looking good. I, I had this, this huge weight on my shoulders. And I was in my apartment up in Topanga Hills. I rented uh, half of an A-frame house. So I had a half of a house. Suze Randall shows up. Uh, the first person that ever shot me for Penthouse, one of my dear friends. And she sits down in the bed next to me and she pulls a joint out from behind her ear. And we sit there and we smoke a joint. And she tells me, Ginger, this is your, your, your make it or break it day. Either you get your shit together, you incorporate, you become a businesswoman, you take this seriously, you enjoy yourself, make it your business, or get the fuck out because you're going to die. Mm -hmm. You're going to die. And it really hit home. Mm -hmm. Sue's left, and being the good cocaine addict I was at the time, I went and bought an eight ball. Mm -hmm. And I sat down and I wrote my dad a letter. And I basically said, I'm paraphrasing, that I liked the woman that I had become. My father had taught me to be honest. You don't cheat, lie, steal, snitch. You're kind to people. You treat your family like friends, your friends like family. Um, if you believe in something, go for it. So all of the things that my father had instilled in me, as far as good qualities, I took those and began an adult film career with those qualities. And I, and I told my dad, you know, I am the same girl that I would be if I worked at 7-Eleven or I was the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. These are choices I've made. I'm comfortable with them. You have never judged me until now. I've never judged you. And if this is how it's going to be, then I don't want you as my family. Mm -hmm. And I still have the letter. It, it, it's about 10 pages long. And my dad called me crying. And he said, I love you. You are a good woman. This isn't easy for us to deal with but we're not going to shut you out of the family. We love you dearly. Mm -hmm. And so I was brought back and able mm -hmm. to be part of my family. Mm -hmm. And that was by far the most difficult time because to, to lose your, your, your family. And I was right. appointed by myself. <clears throat> I didn't have any family here. Uh, it was, it was, it's a funny story. Um, but it's kind of a sad story too. That comes mm -hmm. with the happy ending. So Ginger, well, Negs, Negs actually had a question about um, Ron Jeremy. Yes. Oh, I, I can't recall exactly what the specifics of my question were, but like I was, I was just going to bring, I was just going to ask what he was like as a person um, outside of the the set. Well, I'll tell you my Ron Jeremy story. When I was working on Surrender in Paradise, Jerry Butler was my leading man. It's my twenty first birthday. We're finished filming for the day and Jerry and I are on the beach just going at it. We're having the best time ever. And Ronnie is on this cliff above us and he yells down, can I join in? We both say no. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> so Ronnie leaves. We finish. Our plan is we're going to go back to our rooms and shower. And then we're going out to dinner for my birthday. And champagne and dinner and pool and jacuzzi and this whole big wonderful night. And I get back to my, my condo 
I walk into the bathroom. I'm at the sink. Ronnie is hiding behind the bathroom door. Uh. This is my 21st birthday. He comes up behind me, holds me down, and rapes me. I'm fighting. I'm screaming. I'm biting. I'm doing everything I can. And he won't stop. So that was my 21st birthday, being raped by Ron Jeremy. Oh, my God. Um, He's one of the most deplorable, disgusting, heinous human beings I've ever been. Um, You know, (laughs) I I don't give a fuck if his mental health is... (coughs) I really wish he remembered everything right now. Mm-hmm. And I hope that there's karma. I the hope that goes around comes around and that Ron, I hope he gets raped in the ass on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, I have nothing good to say about him at all. It's 35, 40 years old at this point. So I don't dwell on it. I don't let it affect my daily life. But when I am asked about it, I, I do go back there. Mm-hmm. I do go back there. So Ron is a pig. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, sorry to, sorry to tear that. that oh no, no, no! It, the people want to know the story. You know. I yeah. I well, I knew he he was. Uh, I don't know what he was charged with, but then they said he was incompetent and all this other stuff. But I have a a, a pretty severe opinion about sex offenders anyway. So, uh, pr- prior to the question, I knew he was. Uh, you know, and and it was it was kind of disappointing because none of us as the public we didn't know that about him. Mm-hmm. And he was just kind of like this walking meme, you know. Right. And then when we found out, it was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, because you kind of just falling behind you. I am actually playing the Devil's Rejects you because uh, I just want yes. wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, um, that was going to be. I was going to transition from. Uh, we maybe if you'd like to to transition from the uh, adult entertainment into your your acting because I'm. Uh, bit of a Rob Zombie fan, and I love the three movies, The Devil's Reject. Okay, uh, it's uh, House of Thousand Corpses, Devil's, Devil's Rejects, and Three from Hell. Um, okay, I own, I own uh, all those, and I've seen 31, and I had no idea you were Cherry Bomb. I'm Cherry right? Bomb. Yes. Yes, um, with Richard Bright. That, you know, I, I've done a lot of different things in my life. I started out in the adult industry. When I quit that, I designed a jewelry line that I sold for years to pay my mortgage. Then I went on the road, became a feature dancer, got back. I did radio for Playboy for 10 years and my own podcast for another seven. Uh, But as far as the changes that I've gone through, my favorite part is when I met Rob Zombie. Rob had me in, had me audition. I had the role of... uh, Oh, what's my, uh, Fanny in the devil's rejects. And if it weren't for Rob, this new portion of my life wouldn't be nearly as extravagant and as amazing as it is, as it is. Rob gave me my, my break into horror films. And that's what I do 99% of the time. Now, um, I've got six films in the can from last year. I've got three coming up. The phone call that I was so rudely interrupted by is from a director that I'm doing a film for in Tennessee in a few months. Uh, I have been so fortunate to find my groove in between, you know, to be, I paint, I'm an artist, I design jewelry. So I've always had something to fall back on. I've never relied completely on the film industry, whether it be adult or mainstream you know, I don't work every day. I work a lot. 
a lot more than I ever have. And what's really exciting for me is um, the older you get as an actor in, in Hollywood, as a woman, the less roles you get. Mm -hmm. But because of my transition, because of Rob Zombie going into the, the horror genre, I've had so many doors open for me. Um, and I love what I'm doing. The horror films, for me, it reminds me a lot of the type of filming that we did in the adult film industry. And by that, I mean guerrilla filmmaking. Mm -hmm. um, right. You go in, you have no rehearsals, you better know your lines, you know your dialogue, you know your partner, you know what you're going to do. There are no rehearsals. You go in and you fucking do it. And you've got three to five days to make an entire movie. So when I got into the horror genre, and, and, I, and every day on that set that I would work with someone, they became my family. And I, I was comfortable with this these people. Moving into the horror genre, I found my new home. I'm a little bit weird. I'm a little bit off. Um, and so are most of my horror fans. But I feel more comfortable with them. I get it. They get it. You know, and, and there's that camaraderie in discomfort. You know, we're all, yeah. like I said, a little uncomfortable, a little off. And so my horror fans, my horror career <coughs> is one that I, I hope to continue for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I hope so. Yeah. Can, you, can you tell me uh, what it was like working with the legendary Sid Haig? Oh my God. I love to Sid. Um, there's a funny story about working with Sid. Uh, Rob had cast me in the film and I'm a martial artist. I was for 22 years. I'm a third degree black belt. I, wow. um, that's, you know, what, what I do. And damn it. I lost my train of thought again. Oh, it's Sid Haig. Sid Haig. And so, uh, I was, I was, doing my martial arts and I blew out my ACL, my MCL and my meniscus while sparring in my left leg two weeks before filming. Mm -hmm. So I get to the set, I'm on crutches. I've got a cast from my left thigh to my ankle and I come in on, on these crutches and Rob was like, Oh my God, what, what happened? Your agent said you couldn't run. I'm like, no, I can't walk. And Rob was so cool about the whole thing. He's like, all right, let's figure this out. And my crutches, I couldn't get through. Sid was in the back of the set. I had to walk through two rooms to get to him. And so if you remember, I'm wearing a red corset and that's it. And the crew literally passed me down to the next person through the house until I got to Sid, locked <laughs> my bare ass down on top of him in his dirty, tidy whities My left leg is sticking out to one side and Sid and I just started to laugh. It was so comical. Mm -hmm. And there was an instant bond. We had no rehearsals. And we just fucking worked together. It was beautiful. It was exactly what I had hoped for. And Sid is, was one of my favorite people I've ever met in my life. He was a gentle giant, kind, sweet and everybody's best friend. I, I, I'm, I will miss him always. Yeah, I really enjoyed his uh, his parts in. Uh, you see, I didn't. I wasn't aware of his his um, all the all the roles he had played prior to that. He's just like this horror icon. Yes. And, uh, 
Yeah, I like horror films, but I'm not like into the fandom like uh, to the degree some other. I have so many interests; it'd be impossible for me to absorb myself into all of them. But um, yeah, I started looking into it then, and I just gained a new appreciation for what he had done prior to the Rob Zombie films as well. Don't yeah. ask me to name a film, but <laughs> I can't either. But he he was he did a a ton of movies before Rob Zombie, and and you knew who he was, but not like you did once he became Captain Spaulding. That right. was his role that made his mark, and he did it so well. And yeah. the, the the difference between Sid playing a character on film and the real Sid is night and day. Sid is just like it was like my dad, just really sweet, really kind, really caring, and a brilliant actor. Yeah, he's very he's committed too. Because with the last the outing with the three from hell, he was very sick, and he went out and did his parts. I was amazed. I was shocked that he did, but he still pulled it off. Yeah, respect for that, for sure. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, I, I hate to, like, ask you about all these other actors, but I'm just curious because uh, I, I, I am a bit of a Bill Mosley fan. He entertains the hell out of me. Uh, did you get the... I got so to you... know most of the cast, even though I didn't work with them from... The Devil's Rejects at horror conventions. Um, you know, they would have the Devil's Rejects crew or cast. So I got to know Bill and and Sid really, really well, as well as Leslie Easterbrook, uh, Lou Temple, uh, Sherry Moon. Mm -hmm. you know, well, I got to meet and got to know all of these wonderful, wonderful people. Yeah, I've uh, I've only ever worked on a short film, but I remember we had we'd spent this twelve-hour uh, period working on this short film for a contest, and it was amazing. By the end of the day, like we, we st I still have some friendships left over from that. So um, I can't imagine you know working on set with people for days or even weeks at a time. You would develop like a, a bond, like a family. Not even when it's weeks at a time. I worked one day on The Devil's Rejects and made friends for life. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing what like the creativity, arts, the arts bring people together. They absolutely do, and the adult the adult genre or the horror genre gives me even more of a family environment. I I just did a film for Tom Devlin uh, called Nameless a few months ago, and damn, I'm so sorry. I keep losing my train of thought today. Uh, you're Tom talking Devlin. about the, uh, yeah, the film you just did. Oh, the film that, oh, so I just did a film for Tom Devlin. Uh, and I only worked one day on this film, but I have half a dozen phone numbers and new friends that I talk to on a regular basis. They're just good people. I love the horror, the horror fans. Yeah, they're very, uh, we went, they're very, uh, I don't know how to put, uh, committed because we went to a, a, a uh, it was a convention. It's, I believe it was in Cincinnati last year. Met Robert England, and that that place was stuffed to the gills with fans. Uh, we'd met the original. I believe it was Judith Myers from uh, the Halloween, the original oh, Halloween. Yes. yes. Met her and uh, a couple other people, but it's it's very interesting that the 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 fan art, the tattoos, the the cosplay. I was just blown away because I just showed up in like a flannel and some sweatpants. So. <laughs> I get it. I get it. 
Hey, next, uh, did you want to did you want to ask about Tracy? Oh, um, I did. I was curious. I've been watching interviews um, <laughs> with you for the last couple of days. Uh, Claire has been sending me stuff because I, I know who you are. I'm I'm a I'm uh, Gen X. I'm 46. So I um, I shared this interview on my Facebook because I thought some of my male friends would have been like, oh. I'm going to go watch that. I'm like, well, it's just an interview. Calm down. Right. Uh, but I was curious about with, with Tracy, because there was a whole scandal where she was uh, underage in the business and you, uh, you refuted that. Like what, what made you, that, that was, what was the benefit of her claiming to be underage? Did she get money or was she just trying to create a stink or why do you think she lied about that? Um, because she's a fucking nut job. I mm -hmm. recently did, a documentary about Tracy or, or um, what did I just do? You, you did a documentary. Where can we find that? Uh, it hasn't come out. The problem oh. that they had with it is we did this documentary. They interviewed over a hundred people, including her high school friends, her family members, anybody that knew her in any way, shape or form. And not one person had a nice thing to say about her. Her family said she's a pathological liar. And so now we've got this wonderful uh, Tracy Lord's documentary with hundreds of people saying what the story is. And the people who produced it cannot sell it right now because they're calling it slut shaming. That we are oh, shaming Tracy. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? The things she did and you're worried about slut shaming. She was a fucking slut. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But I did. I never liked her from the moment I met, met her. I did six films with her and I call them my grudge bucks. They were really, really, really good scenes because there was so much intensity and so much. I don't like you that it came across as as passion. And in her book, Tracy states that I'm one of her favorite women to work with. And I just thought that was so amazing that she didn't realize I couldn't stand her. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, now, if um, did, did people go to jail because of this? And I, I know that you, you got, it was unrelated, but it was, but it was connected with the uh, tax thing. Um, but like, exactly. were there any Tracy Lords went before the grand jury uh, or the U.S. attorney, and gave them three names. She said Ginger Lynn, Harry Reams, and Tom Byron are the three most popular people in the industry. They know everybody. They're going to help you out. These are the people. 17. So I went before. I was asked to testify on her behalf against 64 adult film producers, which I refused to do. The right. U.S. attorney came in and said, if you don't do this, we're going to make your life really difficult. So I went before the grand jury. I looked at photos. A lot of them shot behind the scenes. I, I, I saw photos of Tracy fucking on a diving board shot through a camera. The police were involved with it. The police were being paid off. Everyone knew she was underage in not in the industry, but in the law enforcement area they knew what was going on and they were investigating it uh i was the first one that was brought to trial um 
what they did was it was when they said they were going to make my life difficult, five years went by and nothing happened. Five years to the day, my attorney calls and says, you've been indicted and you're facing six years in federal prison uh, over what they called it was willfully subscribing to a tax return. I've always paid my taxes. In the 80s, it was not mandatory for film producers to 1099 their performers. So what the the government made a big deal of, and they said that, well, even though the $2,087.04 went into my account, there was no 1099 to go with that. So they said, well, if you had that money go in, how do we know you didn't have a ton of money coming in? So they, and, and that you, that you didn't claim. And it was just bullshit. Uh, I was found guilty on one count, uh, of willfully subscribing to a false tax return. And I was facing at that point, only two years in prison. It came down to sentencing and I got 750 hours of community service, which is a fuck all lot of hours. Mm -hmm. Um, I was on mandatory drug testing and, uh, I had a probation officer that I had to meet with on a regular basis. I'm three years, just below three years. My, my probation is almost over. I'm doing really well. I haven't fucked up. I passed on my tests. And so they give me my the probation officer gives me permission to fly to Cannes for the film festival. So I fly to Cannes for the film festival. I'm doing a press junket on the beach um, and I look down and there's somebody else down below me that has a bigger crowd. So I get a little puffy and like, who the fuck is that? So mm-hmm. I a press conference and I go down and it's Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. And Charlie and I had only broken up a few months before that. And we were still doing the, okay, are we back together? Are we not? So what I did was I, Charlie invited me to fly to Vienna with him to shoot the Three Musketeers. I did not have permission to go to Vienna, but I went anyway. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to be wearing an engagement ring from another man. I'm out with Charlie and everybody from the, the, the cast and the crew were uh, doing bumper cars and just we went and did a million fun things. Well, the press saw Charlie and I together a lot with a ring on my finger. Mm-hmm. So it became, oh, Ginger and Charlie are back together. She's wearing a ring. It was all over Entertainment Tonight and every news thing. So when I got back, my probation, they were waiting for me. Mm-hmm. They were waiting for me. And the first thing that I had to do that day I got back was do a drug test. Once oh, no. again, it was the 80s and cocaine was a huge part of it. I failed my drug test. So now I'm actually facing six years again. Uh, and Jeez. they, the, the marshals came. They took the door off my hinges because I refused to open it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I the belly shackles, the feet shackles, the U.S. Marshals taking me out through my condo, embarrassing as it could be. And I get to MDC LA, which is maximum security, downtown Los Angeles, murders, rapists, drug dealers. There's one other white girl in there with me. The night that I get there, it's late. And 
two guards put me in a bunk. I'm in my cell. I'm on the top bunk. They've given me these pieces of clothing, a pair of underwear and a pair of pants and a shirt. The underwear are stained with someone else's blood. They're, they're, they're clean, but they're still filthy yeah. and disgusting. And I'm up there and I'm shaking. I'm crying. I'm scared to death. And two prison guards that were out of uniform came into my cell and started talking about my blowjobs. Oh, jeez. And how good I was and what could I do for them. I'm freaking the fuck out. I'm screaming. Mm -hmm. I'm throwing a tantrum. I'm yelling. I want everybody to hear what's going on. Nobody comes to my rescue. They don't touch me. They leave laughing. Well, the next day, every day you get two five-minute phone calls, which are recorded. My first phone call that morning went to my attorney saying, this is what happened last night. Remember, that phone call was being recorded. My attorney said, we're going to go to the Wall Street Journal. This is, you know, you're being harassed by, by in your first night by uh, guards. And I ended up spending 17 days in federal prison. They did not want the publicity. They didn't want uh, what happened coming out. So they let me out of maximum security after 17 days. Maximum security? Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. The, wow. the, the day that, and we're talking wow. scariest shit ever. The first day that I got there, um, not the night, but that next day, uh, there was a girl that people that, that allegedly snitched on someone. And a bunch of the women took this girl into a cell at the end. They sodomized her with the toilet brush, put one of her eyes out, and wow, nothing happened to them. It was okay. It was fine. Um, it, 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 was, it was just one of those. I, I used to wear come fuck me shoes all the time. After I got out, I wore fuck you shoes. And so I get out after the 17 days and they put me into a place called Gateway CCC, which is a halfway house for people that have done their time and they're acclimating back into society. There's about a hundred people there. Four of us are women. I go in under a pseudonym. I'm wearing a hat the whole time, keeping out of everybody's business just trying to do my time without anything happening. And I did something really stupid, but it wasn't meant to be. Um, I brought in a little television set with a VCR in it. And I brought movies. And one of the movies I brought was Blazing Saddles. Mel Brooks is a genius. Didn't think the whole thing through. So I put it in. And my roommates are Essie the Arsonist. Mm -hmm. Margaret the murderer. Um, and I can't remember the other girl's name, but she did uh, fraud credit card transactions. That's what she was in for. After that night watching the movie, everyone was so mad at me because they thought I was a racist. And <laughs> if you watch the movie, it's completely <laughs> the opposite. Right. right? So uh, um, our, uh, Essie, I wake up in the middle of the night and she's screaming and she's talking to the devil and she's swearing him up to leave and going on and on and on. She had a candle. She lit our place on fire. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, it was just. I Why was, would they let an arsonist have a candle in a room? 
Okay, again, made a mistake. <laughs> I didn't know Essie was an arsonist. <laughs> but I think they did, right? <laughs> and so I got to leave on Sundays to go to church and visit my family. Um, and so I brought everybody back presents one day. And I brought Essie a candle, but I didn't know she was an arsonist. <laughs> oh. so it was me that did it. Was a, it was just one of those experiences. I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, everything that I have done makes me the woman that I am today. Mm-hmm. And I've had wonderful experiences, many more than bad ones. But those bad ones have made me stronger. My failures have led me to work harder and to succeed. Um, I found it uh, very interesting how you spent your uh, communities, how you did your community service. Would you mind sharing that with the audience? Not at all, but I just noticed my coffee mug. Do you see it? What does it say? Captain it's oh, Captain Spalding. Nice. I, <laughs> I didn't even know I had that one. Um, <laughs> what was your question again, sweetheart? I just thought, uh, was asking if you could share with the audience how you uh, did your community service. Well, as I told you earlier, my grandmother taught me every type of artistic endeavor that I could I could be involved in. And one of the things that I do and I did at the time was I knit. And so I knit 100 blankets for people in wheelchairs. I made wheelchair blankets that was my community service. And the funny thing is, um, at the time, they allowed me to travel within the country to do my feature dancing. And so I'd be out on stage and I'm doing my water show and I'm naked and I'm spreading it, sitting on bald men's heads with my bare puss. <laughs> as one does at the yeah, feature shows. Why not? Yeah. It's part of the show. And then after that half an hour show, I would go back to my dressing room and wait for the next show. And I'm in there with curlers in my hair knitting. I was knitting those blankets while I was stripping every other 20 minutes. (laughs) I I thought that was a great story. I heard you tell that yesterday. I was like, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what I did recently? And this isn't to toot my own horn. This is something that I learned from my grandma again. Uh, When the war broke out between Ukraine and Russia last year, um, I was at my P.O. box and a a middle-aged man handed me a piece of paper saying, we're collecting blankets for those in Ukraine that are are cold. We're trying to help people. I knit 23 blankets and shipped them to the Ukraine last year. Oh, nice. Um, And that was just, it just felt so good to be able to, I feel so bad for everybody over there. And it was something little that I could do to help. So, you know, my knitting has, has helped people that stay warm in wheelchairs and it, it's, it's made people smile and happy. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to contribute to a war effort that's not, uh, I guess, monetary or violent. I just wanted people to be warm. I watched exactly, the news yeah. and, and I felt so bad and so uh, grateful for what I had that I just felt that I needed to share. I needed to give back. Mm-hmm. 
So let me let me ask you something about um, you said something about OnlyFans and the concern that I have about OnlyFans is that very, very few people actually make money on that platform. You know, we see that we would see the ads, especially during lockdown of these girls who would say, I've made a million dollars in a month yeah, on right. OnlyFans or something. And so a lot of people got into uh, that activity, you know, thinking that they were going to be making a lot of money. And when you look at the breakdown of what people actually earn, like a realistic uh, projection of what you can expect to make on OnlyFans, if you're not a big star, if you're not Black China, you know, if you don't really hit it big, and it's not a lot of money. And so a lot of people went into it. And I think that they also thought, well, nobody's going to find out this isn't going to harm my future. <laughs> you know, so what do you have to say about that? You know, with OnlyFans, you get what you put into it. Um, I know there, there's a girl that I followed for a while that was making bank, like 50 grand a month. And all she did, she found her niche. She played a kitty cat. And she would lick herself and she would purr. She would crawl around, drink her milk. And she had this whole thing where she pretended to be a cat and made bank. Um, I just did a film, uh, it's called Murder Size for AMP Productions that isn't out yet. And, oh shoot, I keep losing my train of thought. I'm so sorry. Um, you remind me of myself, I do that all the I, time. <laughs> I, well, I have other thoughts that I wanna talk about <laughs> next and then I forget what I'm actually talking about. Um, <laughs> yep, the struggle is real. Clara, can you help out? Yeah, I think we all just lost our train of thought. We were talking about OnlyFans. You were talking <laughs> oh, about a girl who was making oh, okay. money yeah, pretending so to be a cat. Size, um, mm -hmm. I met this girl and she and her boyfriend uh, do scenes and they've got 17,000 followers and they're paying all their bills plus. Mm -hmm. So if you go in and you don't choose a persona, a mm -hmm. character, you don't set limits for yourself, what you're comfortable with, what you won't do, um, then you're, you're not going to do well. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't done porn in, in 20 years, but I do a lot of solo work. I tell stories. I entertain. Um, I there's videos of me on my OnlyFans washing my Rottweiler in the backyard, mm -hmm. um, me cooking a homemade chicken pot pie, me, you know, there's me painting, doing a painting. So I've got my adult followers there, but I also incorporate what I'm doing now. And I'm not famous anymore in the adult genre. You know, girls don't know who I am. It's been so long. You know, 40 years since I made my first film. So they don't, they don't really know um, who I am. And my fans that come along know what they're going to get from me. Mm -hmm. I think if you go into it, you take it seriously. Um, this is what I recommend. Mm -hmm. It's called OnlyFans. Let me find where I can get in. Six-figure playbook. It tells you everything. Anybody can make money on OnlyFans. 
so only only fans doesn't just have to be adult content though no. right right no that's why I, said. I i do you know i'll take my dog for a walk and we'll go together and film that um my daily adventures um i film a lot of what i do as i'm doing it it's just it's just it's just content for your fans just behind a paywall is I, I think it's associated with uh adult material when you mention only fans people you know like well they're probably naked <laughs> yeah you really have to be on it i answer every single text that comes in every single question that comes in i've got my computer set up it dings whenever somebody's there so as i'm painting or i'm knitting or i'm designing my jewelry or whatever i'm doing i hear that ping I'm on it and I take care of it. I run my own OnlyFans site, but I also run two other girls. Mm -hmm. um, and I won't mention who they are, but I help them out. And my boyfriend helps as well. We've just got a lot of creative ideas. So I've invited women and that aren't doing that well, you know, that I, I will help them if they want and they need it. Because it can be done. You can be extremely successful and it doesn't have to be all x or r rated excellent yep um a, fr a friend of mine um she had the idea she kept getting random dick pics from guys getting dick I bombs i love getting dick pics well, she <laughs> I, love, I mean i charge 25 dollars to rate it but i still <laughs> <laughs> but she she had the idea of taking all of these random dick pics and then like uh, dressing them up like Santa Claus, put a sombrero on them oh, and, <laughs> and put it on OnlyFans. And, and uh, yeah, I thought that was cute. Oh, that's Good. a brilliant idea. It's just being creative. Yeah. It really is. So uh, having watched all of the After Porn Ends uh, documentaries, um, it's, it's kind of like a mixed bag, like you and a few other people who were in the business emerged on the other side and you're doing fine, but there are a lot of casualties. You know, there were a lot of women who went through, a, and men, obviously, who went through a really, really bad experience in the industry. And so what is it, what, what made you different from these other women who have such terrible stories to tell? because I say no, I tell mm -hmm. you to fuck off, I'm not doing that. And I had an entertainment attorney. Every film that I made, I had a contract. Everything was put out there. And you know, they're always asking, oh, you know, let's do anal today, we'll give you an extra $500. Fuck you, no, mm -hmm. no. I just <clears throat> had my own rules that I stuck by. And I promised myself if I ever woke up and didn't enjoy what I was doing, I would stop. And I did. And I think the problem that happened with so many women and men in the industry, you can see it on After Porn Ends 2, or 1, 2, and 3. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a mixed bag. There are people who became very successful, people whose lives are, are, are ruined. And I have a, my own personal opinion is that no one under 21 to be allowed to do it. Mm -hmm. I know myself at 18. I wasn't, you don't know anything. You don't mm -hmm. know anything. And one of the most important aspects of being successful and enjoying what you're doing is to be comfortable with what you're doing and tell people what you will and won't do. 
And a lot of women didn't feel that they had the empowerment to do that. You had this industry made up primarily of men, very few women, except on the talent side. And, you know, they push you, they see how far they, that you can get. And I don't think anyone should go into the industry unless they've got the right mindset. Mm -hmm. They think it through your parents, your friends, your, everybody's going to find out how comfortable are you with your sexuality and with sharing it. And for me, I look at my life as like a pie and there's this big fat slice of that pie. That is the naughty, dirty, disgusting, wild, crazy ginger mm -hmm. that I allowed myself the freedom to be. And I believe that most people have those same, we all have our fantasies, what we want to do, what we wish we could have been. And the only difference between them and me is I did it. I lived out my fantasies. I didn't just talk about them. I was able to live those out and find that uninhibited, open-minded, happy girl that was willing and able to and enjoyed filming. I really, really loved what I did. I had so much fun. I have nothing negative to say about the industry. Mm -hmm. I was never, you know, the only fuck ups were my own fault. Well, I mean, one of the things that was that really stood out about, <clears throat> excuse me, the series uh, Hot Girls Wanted was these young women who are answering Craigslist ads and they end up going down to, I don't know, someplace like Florida with some sleazy suitcase pimp type producer. And these girls are sent out to do these shoots and often they don't know what they're going to be doing that day they or they're lied to and they get into these scenes that are incredibly violent. Yes. And these are exactly the girls that you were talking about, the girls that have a, a career span of maybe six months before they cycle out. Yeah. And, and they don't know how to say no. A lot of times you're there and you've got all these people going, oh, yeah, do this. This will be great. Let's do it. We'll give you a little bit more money. And and I never did anything that I wasn't comfortable doing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for the most part. Because so, a lot of people have blamed Sasha Gray and said that when she got into the business, because she entered and instead of going through, you know, girl, girl, and then sort of going up slowly, she went DEFCON 1 and started straight up with, I mean, maybe not the gangbangs, but like the really, really, really violent, hardcore type of stuff. And so it set a standard for other girls who were entering the industry saying, well, look, she did it. So now you're expected to do the same or maybe something even more extreme. Is that true? It, it is true. But where is Sasha Gray now? You know, where is she? What? It, you know, it, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite. I don't think that it's healthy for 99% of the people in the world to get into the adult film industry. It mm -hmm. takes them on very special that's comfortable with themselves, confident with who they are, secure with their decisions. And also for me, I surround myself with good people. Mm -hmm. um, I have a boyfriend that I've been with for 13 and a half years and I don't have to pretend, I don't have to, I get to be me 100% and 
and he loves me as I am. And so I have this wonderful support system with my boyfriend and then tons of girlfriends. Christy Canyon's been my best friend for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And I spend as much time with her as I do here at home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so what, what kind of girl do you think should avoid the industry? What are some of the myths that girls believe when they get into the industry that you want to dispel um, so that they don't end up like, uh, let me give you an example, like Savannah, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really don't think in today's porn, other than doing your own thing on OnlyFans, I don't think it's healthy for anybody. When I was around, we had one agent and he was like your father and he took care of you. There weren't these sleaze bags picking up girls at bus stops, picking up girls on the beach, picking up pretty girls at bars. Uh, you had legitimate agents. And over the years, any Joe Blow that's got a camcorder, you know, there it is. You just do POVs. Mm-hmm. And these girls have dreams of being rich and famous and popular. And all of these grandiose things are going to travel the world and do all of these things. And 40 years ago, you would have. But that's not going to happen today. You're mm-hmm. going to get in. You're going to get burnt out. Most of the time, you're not going to be emotionally able to keep, keep, to cope with it. Mm-hmm. And... I'm I'm not one to promote or endorse or to tell people that the adult film industry today is something you should get into. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, and I, I wouldn't advise anyone else to either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What saturated. happened? To, yeah, it's, it is saturated. It's saturated. It's scary. It's unpredictable. You don't know who you're working for. You know, it's not like when we had all the big companies. I never went off and worked for Joe Blow. I worked for legitimate companies. And that's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you still keep in touch with Charlie Sheen at all? No, I don't, sadly. And mm-hmm. I, I wish we did stay in contact. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably, I could just call my agent and have him call his agent, and I'm sure we could get back together again and talk. But we had such a, an amazing, turbulent, wild, wonderful love for each other for, for years. And, you know, we broke up because his agents and his parents and his people and his manager and everybody kept telling him, she's going to ruin your future. She's a porn star. You can't keep seeing her. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I've told this story before. I went to Charlie's house one night and he always would send limos for me. So I show up at the house and Charlie's there and there are two men that I don't recognize behind the bar. And Charlie and I are sitting in, at the bar and he says, will you marry me? And I'm like, I'm not going to marry you while you're fucking everybody else. No, I bring <laughs> girls home all the time. If you step aside, even when I bring girls home, no. And he goes, but I, and, and the, one of the guys was a minister and the other was a witness. Stop. So <laughs> he wanted me to, oh, but wait, no, that's not even the, the crazy part of the story. So mm-hmm. I, I tell him I'm not going to marry him. 
and we're going round and round about what to do with the family and the, the agents and the managers and everything. And Charlie comes up with this scheme, this idea to fake my death. What? Fake my death, <laughs> move to another country, learn another language and become someone and have my face reconstructed so that we could be together. How much coke wow. had he done at this point? He was dead serious. <laughs> he had the whole he had the whole thing set up and I almost I was so in love. I almost did it. Mhm. Wow. Well, that's I, uh... I, could, I couldn't do it to my 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 father, my grandmother, mm -hmm. my sister, or my brothers. I just couldn't disappear, but I, I wasn't so in love that I gave it serious thought. Mhm. Mm yeah. So that would have been that would have been turbulent. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know it was so extreme. But I, I was in so love, so much love with him, and I miss him. Charlie, over the years, has made different choices than I have, obviously. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't be able to be together again because we're so such different people. But I would love to sit down and just go over the good old times and be a friend and talk to him and actually be there for him because his life has got to be so difficult right now. Yeah. I can't imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could see as soon as he had that standoff when he was on two and a half men and told everybody to fuck off and gave up that job. And then he went completely crazy. It was so sad. And then the revelation about HIV and everything, it was like, it was, it was, it was just sad to witness. It, it really was. It really was. And, and especially for me, because the only Charlie I've ever known is the kind, sweet, caring, generous, intelligent, articulate, funny, um, talented. You know, Charlie treated me like a queen. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. And we treated each other that way. So all of the things that he's done since, um, that's not the man that I knew. Mm -hmm. that's, and, and I want to remember the man that I knew. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I, yeah. I'm sure his family is incredibly concerned too. But, you know, he's a grown man. What can you do? Well, he and I saw a commercial that Charlie, it aired, I saw it once. It was uh, Martin and Charlie for life insurance or health, some kind of a, uh, a thing like that and you know I'm sure that Martin got Charlie the job no but people didn't want to see it it, it, it I saw it one time and it was mm -hmm. gone mm -hmm. so I, I imagine that he's having a real tough time I don't know where you go after that right because it, I don't know if he's has he been canceled I don't uh, know I just saw a picture of of, of him and two other people out together. Um, and it was something about like the, the three people that were there, I guess they had done more Coke than we could ever imagine. There was a meme about it, but he's, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if he's acting or anything. I don't, I don't keep up with a lot of that, but as far as canceled, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't even know what that means anymore. I think you can only cancel yourself really. Well, I, I just see, you know, actors that Kevin Spacey, Mm -hmm. Totally fucking canceled, and he should be. Oh yeah, yeah, he should yeah. be, and, he and should more. Be. Yeah, um, Charlie, you don't hear about him working or any new projects or anything going on. 
So, you know, call it canceled or blackballed or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It, it's heartbreaking because he is such a talented, wonderful man. Mm-hmm. I really wish I could remember who was in that photo with him because it was an iconic photo. I don't know if it was him and uh, if it's he and Mike Tyson and somebody else. So, but uh, somebody was making jokes about because they were partying. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, I stopped that twenty five years ago. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I can't even. I can't even like have a, a chair bottle of scotch with a friend without being down for a whole day and a half afterwards. So. Oh. I had a birthday party last month and I had friends fly in. There were eight of us and I didn't have to cook. I didn't have to clean. I, all I had to do was be, be the birthday girl. It took me three days to recover. And mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't do drugs. I don't get drunk. I, I, I just, mm-hmm. but it took me a long time to pull it together. So how did you end up in the Metallica video? I had been asked to do, I guess Lars was a big fan of mine Mm -hmm. and I had been asked to do the Metallica video and I said no Um, for several reasons. One, um, it's not my kind of music. I'm just Mm -hmm. not a Metallica fan. I'm sorry. And I don't mean to be rude, but that's the case. And the other part for me was I didn't want to be, I was trying to transition into mainstream and I didn't want to be a bimbo mm-hmm. in a video. And so for three months, they kept hounding and hounding. And I kept saying, no, I was in a hotel lobby in Waco, Texas, with my bodyguard, my assistant, my nanny, and my son, as well as myself. The front desk says, you have a call. It's from my agent. He says, all right, Jonas Ockerlin, who's directing this video, he's at the Chateau Marmont. He wants to meet you tonight. Can you please do it? And I, I said, yes, but I have my hair in a ponytail. I'm wearing overalls. I have no makeup on and I'm bringing my family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I met with Jonas and he told me a story. You know, I was really worried about them bastardizing Bob Seger song, big Bob Seger fan. And Jonas told me the story of how when he was starting out, all he ever wanted to do was be a music video director, but you don't get to just start there. You have to do something else. Mm-hmm. And so he ran circuses, Cirque du Soleil type circuses in Europe for years and slowly started directing different things in the meantime. And the way he put it to me was, I did this because I had to. Now I've turned the page and I'm doing what I want to. And that's what I want you to feel. That's what I want you to be. I want you to be proud of what you've done, but ready to turn the page and move on. And he sold me hook, line, and sinker. I'm so excited. I'm like, yes, I'm doing the video. That was a Sunday night. Monday morning, my agent calls and he says, they're not going to go with you. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I think the best meeting ever. And he said, no, they thought you would look a lot more haggard and old. And basically, you look too good. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is Hollywood. You can, <laughs> you can make me look old. Right. Um, and they want, I gained 15 pounds. I ate nachos with cheese and vanilla ice cream for about a month. So that I would be a little, because I was very thin, make me a little bit older looking. And then they put the little stuff on the sides of my eyes. So I had little smile lines. But it, with all that happened before that and my turning it down, 
And then they they went, all right, we'll, we're going to use you if this happens. It's one of my favorite projects I've ever worked on. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of my work in that video. Um, it was the first thing that my dad ever saw mainstream. Mm-hmm. That he called me up and he goes, babe, you're a really good actress. And I was like, aww. I was going to say, so they made you look old. You looked gorgeous in that video. What are you talking about? Um, you looked beautiful. Thank you, but... No, they did up. work on me. <laughs> and you had an actual storyline. You weren't like in the typical like heavy metal 80s sunset strip, you know, sexy girl role. That's what I, I wanted to avoid. So that's why when Jonas explained the story to me, I went, I'm so in. So in. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was a really well done video. You weren't just in the back shimmying in hot pants. I mean, you were <laughs> actually acting in like a whole very it's, tragic it, story. Yeah. The, the director actually made a 15 minute short film out of it. Mm-hmm. And what I found really interesting is when, when it, the night that it released on MTV, I had my grandma and 20 of my friends over and we're all watching it. And I'm like, wow, this is really violent. This is so disturbing. Yeah. Fantastic. But then I was talking to Jonas. He said, let me send you the European version. The European version has very little violence, but a lot of nudity. Mm -hmm. The American version, no nudity, a lot of violence. So violence (laughs) is okay here, but Mm -hmm. you can't show your tits. Oh, that was the whole thing with MTV, though. Exactly. And and yeah. people were complaining like around the time of the PMRC uh, thing. Oh, you can, you know, you can be extremely violent, but if you're sexy, forget it. You know, you can't do that. And then in the 80s, it kind of changed a little bit, but not yeah. enough, though. No, no. But one of my new projects I wanted to, do you have a second? Of course. Can I something up? Yeah. I re- I've got six films under my belt right now that I've already shot this year, last year. One of them is called Pig Killer, mm-hmm. and it's based on a true story. There was a man by the name of Robert Willies, what they called him, Pinkton, uh, in Vancouver, Canada. And 20 years ago, he was caught and busted for raping and murdering six women they got him charged with. Mm-hmm. He admits to over 49 and regrets that he didn't make it till 50. Mm-hmm. He grew up on a pig farm with his parents who his mother was incestuous, cruel. Uh, she would make him sleep in pig carcasses sometimes at night. He wasn't allowed to bathe unless she bathed him. The character that I play in this film was so disturbing and so fucked up. I'm his mother. I play that woman. Mm-hmm. And it took me, I, I'm not a method actor, but I had to spend a couple of weeks getting to that place, mm-hmm. um, that dark, deep, ugly place where all of my kindness was gone. All of my own character traits were gone. I had to become this horrible, heinous woman. And I did. And it affected me for a couple of weeks afterwards. But what I've seen the film, and I'm very, very proud of my work in it. Jake, mm-hmm. excuse me, Jake Busey is the leading man. Mm-hmm. Lou Diamond Phillips is in it. Uh, Bai Ling is in it. Uh, not Lou Diamond Phillips, Lou Temple. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, it's 
it's one of the most disturbing films that you will ever see. Mm-hmm. There are no holes barred. It's in your face. If you're a horror fan, you're going to love it. Mm-hmm. If you're just into scary movies, you're going to be disgusted. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's a foul, bad, bad story. But after I did it and I watched my performance, I was like, okay, I made the right decision. Uh, and, and when does that come out? Uh, that should be out in the spring. We're still hitting film festivals. So far, I've had four Best Supporting Actress nominations. Wow. Congrats. Uh, wow. I know, right? So when it comes to horror, is there anything that you won't do? Like, would you do a Serbian film or something like that? Is there, is there like a line that you draw? The only film that I wouldn't be involved in is, is if Muhammad was involved in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't want to get killed for making a movie. Okay. Uh, but as far as for, horror, I, I won't tell you the name of the film, but I did a, a film recently uh, and we just did the final pickup shots last week. And without telling you who I am or what I do, the coolest thing about the movie was the special effects at the end. And they had this giant bed that they turned into, they called it a bedgina because there was a big <laughs> vagina in the middle. Okay. And so I have all this stuff that happens up to that. And then finally I get eaten by the giant vagina. Okay. And I'm covered in blood and goo and goop. And it was so gross, but it was hysterical. It was hysterical. And I just love the thought of a vagina. I think it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Well, yeah, I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on uh, it. That, that, what was it called? Pig, pig killer? Pig killer. Pig killer. Yeah, you've you've uh, piqued my interest with that. So yeah, definitely. Hopefully, you won't be too disgusted. Yeah, there. Are, <laughs> yeah, there's parts in it that I'm just going. Oh no. <laughs> well, I might be, but that's part of the experience when you watch a movie like that. So. Yeah, you, if that's up that's up your alley, then you're in the right place, baby. <laughs> yep, I'll check it out for sure. I'm sure there's a lot of horror fans in in my audience, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they'll, they'll, it's, it's definitely worth taking a look at. As well you know that as guys, take note. <laughs> Dr. Deathface is coming out. Nameless is coming out. Rodeo Queen is still coming out. And two episodes of Lady Killer TV for uh, Showtime. And there's one more I'm not thinking of. And then this year, I've got three lined up already. The older I get, the better the roles I get. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's it's what I love to do. It's my passion. When I have a script, when I have a role that I'm preparing for, I am at my utmost happiest. I love creating. I love I love creating anything. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm any type of art that that there is. I love it. Same. Ging- Ginger, love it. you are just a genuinely happy person. This is the thing that amazes me about you. <laughs> you are such a happy woman. I love that. It's great. Thank you. Thank. I, I really am. I. I just. I'm so grateful, and I hate to use this word, but blessed. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, an amazing family, and that includes my friends. I've got mm-hmm. friends that I consider family. Friends that I've had for years and years and years, and I don't surround myself with glass half empty people. Mm-hmm. 
I don't surround myself with people who live and dwell and, and feel invigorated by drama. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I just don't, I, I live every day doing the things that I I'm able to do that I'm comfortable doing that I'm happy doing and everything I do makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's like an ask for amazing. That's great. That is amazing. Thank you. It, it, it feels good. It feels good. And, and I, I'm a big pay it forward kind of girl. So I'm happy, but I'm also, I'm really nice. Like I do nice things for people. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'll see somebody in, in a grocery store that you can just tell they're having a bad day and I'll go, I love your shirt. Oh, thank yeah. you. Just giving people little moments of joy. I mm-hmm. love doing that. The, the thing is that I was telling Negs, and I think I've told this story on my channel before about um, going to the rainbow with Billy Sheehan in like 2001. It was six weeks after 9-11. And oh. that was actually when I met Ron Jeremy, um, which was I'm weird sorry. because I had no idea who the <laughs> hell he was. But it was the night before Halloween and I was looking around the place and most of the girls at the rainbow, you could tell were working in the sex trade, either um, escorting, stripping, porn, whatever. Right. And it was the thing that struck me about these girls was that it was impossible to tell how old they were. Like you could tell that they were young. You could, you got the sense that they were young, but there was something right. about their faces. It was something about the look in their eyes that there was something very hard about them, yeah. that, that there was already something that they had seen or experienced in life that had affected them in some way. And that is a look that I do not see in you. And that is what makes you so unique, so special. Thank you. Because you don't ever want to have a girl who's 18 or 19 years old or 20, 21 with that hardened, like world weary look already. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I look at a lot of these girls now and they don't have the same ethics when it comes to taking care of themselves mm-hmm. um you know they allow people to step on them they allow things to happen to them they put themselves into bad positions and they don't have the balls to stand up for themselves mm-hmm. um, i grew up a tomboy uh my grandfather was a police officer my dad was a cop and so i've just always had this this openness and honesty about what I'm comfortable with. I have no difficulty whatsoever saying no. Unless you invite me to dinner after 8 p.m. Okay. (laughs) Did you ever do, um, like a lot of the other girls did stints at places like the Bunny Ranch. Did you ever do that? I never did. Mm -hmm. I I have to like the person that I'm having sex with. Mm-hmm. And I had the luxury of choosing my partners in the adult film industry, which people don't get that luxury anymore. Mm-hmm. They have a no list, but I had a yes list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what was the question? Uh, the Bunny Ranch. Just the, the Bunny Ranch. You, you never no, did that. And I just, I wouldn't be comfortable going in and fucking a stranger, and mm-hmm. it, it just. I'm not that type of a sex worker. I, I just have never been able to 
be comfortable with that because I, I see myself as an artist in every way. Even my scenes on film in the adult film industry mm -hmm. were scenes where I would talk to my partner or partners before we filmed and say, what do you like? What do you want to do? What turns you on? What don't you like? And we wouldn't script out what we were going to do. We just knew enough about each other to go in and have a good scene. Mm -hmm. uh, and they don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. They just don't. Mm -hmm. Right. So the Bunny Ranch was never something that I was comfortable with. And there's nothing wrong with it. I have no judgments. It's just I see myself more as an artist in every way. In every scene, after we would talk about what we liked, I almost felt like because you, when you're making love or fucking someone, you don't know what the next move is going to be. It just happens. You just go there. Mm -hmm. And and I love that part of it. It reminded me of um, like a dance in a certain mm -hmm. way where you get two people and, and you, ah, I loved it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I got to say, I judge the Bunny Ranch, but not because of the women. I judge it because of the way they rip the women off who work there. I That's what I judge. Dennis Hoff was on my shit list forever. Uh, uh, one of the biggest pigs ever. Um, and when I saw the documentaries on how much the girls got ripped off, it was unbelievable the amount of money that they were charged to work oh, in that place. It, it, it was, was sickening. Yeah. It was ridiculous. And and yet a lot of girls did it. Yep. Um, I, I, it's just not my style. It's not my style. I need to know you. I need to like you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if we haven't laughed within five minutes of talking, I'm probably not going to fuck you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're laughing, and you have been since the beginning, Miss Megs. <laughs> All right, baby, it's on. Oh, Megs is doing it, too. We've got Mr. and Mrs. Megs smiling away. Let's go, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> well, we're going to visit you in Las Vegas, Ginger. Please do. Please I, was, do. I, was, I felt like such an idiot. You know, we had planned this whole trip, and it completely slipped my mind that the last time I had you on, I said that when I was in Vegas, I was going to give you a ring. And then we're in Vegas, and I thought, oh, my God, I didn't even contact her. Shame and on you. I know, I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, but the next time we go to Vegas, we're going to hang out together, definitely. Please, I would For love sure. that, Claire. I would love that. Please, please, please. Thank you, Ginger. Ginger, again, you are my favorite, favorite guest. I'm sorry, one of my previous guests is in chat. I apologize. But Ginger, I mean, come on, give me a break, mm -hmm. you know? That makes Gin me feel so special. Now I have to go do something nice for somebody else because you just made me feel special. Ginger, thank you. Yes, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to meet you. It was so nice to meet both of you and uh, Claire to see you again. And I've really enjoyed my time with you. You asked good questions. It was a fun, good interview. And and I appreciate you doing your homework and, you know, trying to get down to the nitty gritty and asking good questions. I, I appreciate that so much. Thank you, Ginger. It's a date. Don't forget. It's I'm, a date. It's on my calendar. It's in ink Vegas. already. I just got, it says uh, Mrs. Nags and Mr. Nags <laughs> every day. <laughs> Thank you, love. I'll see you soon. All right. Thank Bye, you so much. Bye, baby. Bye. How great was that? That was a lot of fun. She's a delight. Isn't she adorable? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love her.
Okay, so now we now at least we know that we're going to be hanging out with her in Vegas the next time. I can't wait for that. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be maybe, so much fun. Maybe maybe we all go to Pro Gun. Why not? Yeah. Oh, we didn't okay. ask her if she likes to shoot guns. I'll ask her. Next time. All right. All right, guys. Thank you, everybody, for being here. We had a great time. And uh, next week, we'll see what happens. Uh, but tune back in, and we will see you then. Bye, my love. Bye. I'll see you. All right. Bye, guys. See you next time.